You are now listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. This is episode 28. Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. Here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Welcome to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, your host of the podcast today. And this is episode again, 28. We're going to be talking about lupus. We're going to be talking about how to get to the bottom of lupus. And like always, like we like to start the show, if you want the show notes, if you want to listen to it at the comfort of your desktop computer, please go to drpierresblog.com forward slash LLP. 028 and you'll get the show notes you'll be able to download the mp3 directly off that page you'll also be able to listen to the podcast right then and there especially for those who may not want to you know download apple Podcasts or stitcher don't know why you wouldn't but in case you don't want to do that i'm going to give you the option to be able to listen to the episode right on the website so Stay tuned, get ready for another great learning episode and get up to date on lupus. Now again, welcome to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. And today we're going to be talking about lupus. This is a very special topic for me because my first patient, my very first patient out of residency, I was about to say medical school, but no, I actually had a residency. I was a full-blown, quote-unquote, attending status. And my first patient walks into my office and it's a patient with lupus. And it was actually a patient who was diagnosed with lupus nephritis. And we'll get to uh, the specifics on that type of lupus. But it was very interesting to me because, you know, here I was, I was thinking that I was going to walk into, you know, my office and maybe I have to fill a couple of blood pressure medications out or, you know, tell a person they're diabetic. And right off the bat, like I was thrown into this, you know, pretty uh, intense topic because lupus is definitely something that as a private primary care physician is not something that you see all the time especially if you're not in that specialty but it was uh, something that yet again she she just kind of walked in uh, to the office and you know here I was like I was her a doctor she had just got a new insurance plan and she was looking for a new doctor and I just got out of residency and I just got on some insurance plans as well so here I am boom uh, and it was very exciting. Again, my very first patient, I actually talked about her on my uh, blog when I talked about saying goodbye to the PCP, right? She was my, um, and in fact, no, I actually wrote a blog specifically on her about saying, you know, goodbye to my very first patient because she, she actually had to leave me, unfortunately, because she changed insurances, right? So I thought I was going to leave her first, but she left me first. But that's okay. We're going to be talking about lupus today. It's a very interesting topic. It's one that as a primary care physician, I have to always be keenly aware of because most of the time the primary care physicians are the ones who diagnose it. And unfortunately, in my patient's case, when she was diagnosed with lupus, it was after the fact. And, and unfortunately, that's actually not a uncommon you know, way to diagnose lupus is a lot of times when all of these constellation of symptoms, and we're going to talk about the symptoms in a minute. When all of these constellations of symptoms kind of happen, a lot of your patients end up in the hospital. And they end up in the hospital and you're trying to find out why. You're trying to like tease out all these different reasons. And there's usually like a diagnosis, like after you've kind of 
try to eliminate all of the you know the bread and butter stuff like oh my god this person has lupus so we're going to talk about lupus today it's a very uh, interesting topic it's not something that's quite as common as last week's uh, disorder when we talked about when we talked about diabetes but it is in the same family when we talk about an autoimmune disorder an autoimmune disorder is a disorder where the body begins to attack itself and the way lupus works is something in the body and we're, we're still not entirely sure what we're not sure if it's environmental we're not sure if it's genetic we're not sure if you know there's like an infection that like turns everything on something something happens and your body starts your body starts turning on its own self and it actually starts destroying certain cells certain cell tissue and you know that's where that constellation of symptoms start and uh, begin to occur and I talked about uh, with the autoimmune issue being it's a, a chronic process right so it's not something that goes away it's not something that you get as a child and you get rid of as an adult um, most of the people who get diagnosed with lupus, they're usually between the ages of about 19, you know, those teenage years up to about like 55, 60, right? So there's a very wide range of, you know, from an age standpoint of when you can be first diagnosed with lupus. And uh, we'll talk about the three, three common types. And I say three common types because there are several other types of lupus, but the three common that we tend to know. And even for us, when we say lupus, especially in the, the general public, when the general public tends to say lupus, they're usually talking about one uh, specific one. And we'll, we'll talk about that later on today. There are three common types that we tend to know, especially as a primary care physician, because that's something that's going to walk into your office. And if you're not prepared and not ready for it, you, know, you haven't studied up, it is something that can easily be missed. And so talking about lupus, lupus follows what we call a, a waxing and waning pattern, right? Meaning that for a person who may be diagnosed with lupus uh, when they're 21, 22, 23, and they get quote unquote treated, because again, it is an autoimmune issue, so you never really get treated from it. You just kind of like, you know, ride the storm out. It can come back, it can, and we're not sure if it comes back in a year, we're not sure if it's gonna come back in five years, 10 years, but it can come back, and in fact, it usually does. So it's usually not something where the, you treat it that one time and you never have to worry about it again. So it is something that we're very mindful of, especially when we're diagnosing our patients at a very young age to let them know like, hey, this is something that you're going to be dealing with pretty much for the rest of your life. So we have to kind of be ready for it and be able to uh, deal with the problems when it comes about. Right. So that's why it's so important to one, diagnose it early. Right. It's important to diagnose it early. And two, it's important to educate your patient. Because I have a lot of patients and, you know, especially my practitioners who are watching uh, probably agree with me. Right? I have a lot of patients who the second I treat them with, let's say, a blood pressure medication, in their mind, they don't have blood pressure, high blood pressure anymore. The second I treat them with a diabetic medication, in their mind, they don't have, you know, diabetes no more. Right. So we have a lot of patients who kind of follow that pattern. Right. So it's very important to. It's very important to teach and train your patients that, yes, we're going to treat, yes, we're going to take care of this quote-unquote episode of uh, a lupus. And what you'll tend to hear a lot is called lupus flare. So we're going to treat this episode of the lupus flare. But next time, if it comes about again, you have to be very mindful. You have to be very mindful of when it can occur. You have to be very mindful of the symptoms to try to catch it earlier, better than later. And uh, I alluded to uh, lupus, you know, being about 
Let's see, ninety percent, right? So ninety percent, right? Because I, I, we talked about my first patient, my very first ever patient, uh, being a she, right? Ninety percent of your patients will with lupus will be female, and and what's worse is that even I say what's worse, but what uh, even more significant is that an African American female is two to four times more likely to suffer from lupus uh, than a Caucasian or Hispanic female, right? So it's, and it's so rampant, right? Let me tell you how rampant it is. And my medical students and, you know, residents could probably would definitely agree with me. If I am looking at a medical test question, right? And the subject, listen now, like this is how common it is. This is how common the medicine world thinks it is, right? If the subject is a black female, blah, 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 I can literally scroll down the answers and look for where everyone's going to be about lupus. Like that's and if it's not lupus, it's another one that um, we may talk about, may not uh, called sarcoidosis. Uh, but that that's how common it is, right? It's so common that in my test questions, and I'm talking about when I was taking questions in uh, medical school, when I took questions, when I was doing questions as a medical resident, the same block of questions, right? If the subject was a black female. Like almost like eight to nine times out of ten, if I looked at the answer choices, lupus had something to do with the answer choices. So that so that's how common it is in that population. Now it doesn't; it's not as significant. Again, about one point looks like one point five million uh, people uh, suffer from lupus uh, on a yearly basis. Uh, but the concern is that it's the leading cause of premature, and remember, the, the because it strikes are early, premature cardiovascular and kidney disease and strokes uh, in a patient, in, in, in a younger patient, especially female patient, right? So anytime you suffer from any uh, disease, where it's, whether it be a heart attack, whether it be a stroke, whether it be some type of kidney disorder, at such an early age, uh, lupus is a prime example. And again, going back to my patient, uh, my patient, when she was coming to see me, she had just got out of the hospital. And let me, let me tell you how long she was. She was in the hospital for like, you know, months, right? She was in the hospital for ex at a very, very long time. And that's because the lupus had gotten to the point where it affected her kidneys. So we have, to, and that's why I said, especially as in, a, you know, I, I put the call out to our primary care physicians, and even though I hate that term, and you know, we, we can discuss why I hate the term primary care uh, later, at a later point. But for primary care physicians, it's uh, very important for us to like really be very mindful of the symptoms and the symptoms early, right? Because this is a girl who, if she would have been diagnosed earlier, if she would have been, if the we would have caught that disorder earlier, she wouldn't have ended up in the hospital. She wouldn't have had to miss, she wouldn't have had to miss months at a time uh, of her life, had a young life too, um, because like I said, she's pretty young. Um, she wouldn't have to do that if we would have caught it earlier, right? So that's why it's important, very important, again, especially when you hear about lupus and you hear about, you know, these disorders that a lot of times early, early, early uh, prevention and catching it early is, has always been key. It just always has been. Like, there's really no, you know, if ands, buts about it uh, from that standpoint there. 
And uh, we're going to talk about the three types of lupus. Uh, one, and again, most people when they talk about lupus, uh, the lupus they're talking about is systemic lupus. It's a systemic issue. And again, we'll, we'll get into the nitty gritty of what systemic means, but you can kind of like guesstimate that. Cutaneous lupus and then drug-induced lupus, right? So these are your three most common types of lupus, you know, worldwide, right? So from from a person who suffers from lupus, they would tend to fall under those three categories in there. And there's some people who can kind of like have mix and match categories where they present as one, but then end up being the other. Most importantly, let's talk about the symptoms, right? The symptoms of lupus and symptoms that again, and I'm going to say these symptoms, these symptoms are going to sound very common. Not saying that you know you should brush them off, uh, but if a lot of these things like really start hitting home, especially if you're in that that young age group that you know that 18 to 30, and you you know you're just not feeling well, and all these symptoms about the name, if that's not you, make sure you go talk to your doctor about it, um, because you rather be safe than sorry more than anything else. So we talk about lupus, right? So these are the symptoms. And when we talk about diagnosing lupus, lupus is a constellation of symptoms. So it's a whole bunch of systems, right? Symptoms. And based on how many that you meet from a criteria standpoint, decide whether you have lupus or something else or something not from that standpoint. So number one, number one, we talk about joint pain, muscle pain, hair loss, fevers, some people suffer from sores in the mouth, pink and purplish fingers or toes. And the reason why that's important because lupus can attack uh, the, the vascular symptoms uh, uh, system. And for patients who suffer from, like, you know, they get their, their fingertips get very cold or they change color, the vasculature, like the, the vessels, the further we get away from the heart, the smaller they are. So lupus is more likely to kind of attack and destroy those smaller vessels and then you don't get any blood flow in, in your fingers and your toes. So always be important to that. They have this most common, most people know is the sensitivity to sunlight. They cannot go out to the sun because they get this like huge, huge rash, you know, that uh, is very telling for them. And fatigue, fatigue is a big one, right? They are always tired. And I'm not saying tired as if you just got out of you know, a 12 hour shift, right? These, these patients are like just deadbeat tired. When they, they wake up tired, they go take a nap, they're tired. Like they're just always tired and nothing seems to kind of get them over a hump. There's no uh, four hour energy drink. There's no coffee. There's nothing that they can, you know, take that's going to give them a boost of energy. These people are just always physically, mentally tired at um, moving forward. So that's, that's fatigue is a big one. Kidney issues, chest pain, chest discomfort, especially when we're taking some deep breaths in. So a lot of these symptoms, so I just, you know, I listed a whole bunch of symptoms. I listed about 11, 12 symptoms, right? And for your patients with, and these are just like symptoms what you may, you know, tell your doctor. There's also some blood tests that, you know, we in our office tend to do as well. And auto, they're, they're usually autoimmune tests or tests to see whether you're anemic or tests to see whether your kidney functions are normal. So these are all, these are those tests that we tend to do, right? Because, again, we're trying to get to the bottom of, you know, why you're feeling the way you're feeling, right? What tends to happen, we just try to, like, piece together, like, all of the puzzle, right? We try to get, you know, here you got this symptom here and this symptom here and you kind of have this symptom here so you have a more likely probability of having you know what we can concern for for lupus right and again lupus is this very it's an autoimmune disorder right it's it's your own body attacking yourself and you know regardless of how smart our medicine is right we have not really found out why you know this happens, right? We think it's genetic. We think it's environmental. We think it may be infection related. We meet the family history. We think something 
may like turn it on, but we're not sure what. Because again, I have some patients who they get they get it when they are 18, 19. I have some patients who don't get it until they're 30. I have some patients who don't get it until like their 50s, right? So there's where there's no really rhyme or reason of why it actually starts. We just know when it does come on, it can be significant. And as the uh, you know primary care physician, as your physician physician in general, because most of the time your lupus patients are taken care of by specialists who you know deal with autoimmune disorders. That's all. Those are your our rheumatologists. Uh, but a lot of times the first, you know, people on the forefront uh, who are like diagnosing it early is usually are the um, uh, primary care physicians for, for that part there. So, again, uh, you know, we talked about a lot of symptoms. We talked about some blood tests. Again, it's not important for you guys to because, again, I don't want you to run into your doctor's office saying, hey, test me for lupus. Um, I want you to be very mindful of, oh, well, you know, I'm having a, a lot of these symptoms that, you know, that Dr. Barry said. Maybe I need a test for lupus, right? Because we get a lot of that too, right? So I have patients who, you know, they go they go read their Googling, they go they do the Googling, they read it, and then all of a sudden they got lupus, right? And then I have to turn around and calm them down and relax and say, hey, you know what? You're okay. You don't got lupus. You got all of these symptoms that are not uh, consistent with lupus, but relax. But if you feel like, you know, a lot of these symptoms are kind of like pointing to you and they're talking to you, and you're like, like right here, like, you know what? I always knew something was like off of me, but I'm not sure what. Uh, I always, I always say, you know, uh, err on the side of caution, right? That's, and that's the most important thing. Because, so we're gonna, let's talk about the three common types, right? So we talked about SLE, right? So when most people talk about lupus, we talk about systemic lupus. And the problem with this lupus, right, it's the, mo it's the most uh, presenting common one, right? But because it is systemic, right? And if you can just think about it, it affects every organ in the body, right? Every tissue in the body, skin, kidney, uh, the brain, nerves, heart, lungs, there's not a organ in your body that cannot be affected by lupus, right? Now, that's not to say that if you have lupus, you're going to have a disorder with your kidneys and your heart and your lungs. No, but it is to say that it's not a shocker if you have a disorder in any one of those things, right? Again, pointing back to my patient, my patient had a kidney disease, right? Like that's how she presented to the hospital. She presented to the hospital in full-blown kidney failure, right? And for a person her age group, you should. You, there's no reason for you to have a, a kidney failure unless there's something, uh, you know, uh, from an autoimmune aspect, totally wrong. Because uh, she wasn't like a drug dealer or anything, or you know, drug user, uh, something from that standpoint. Um, so that's that's the systemic one, right? So that's the one we're always concerned about. That's one you tend to see much more from a TV standpoint. Uh, but there are some, again, for type two, there are some that are just affecting the skin, right? And lupus, the the hallmark picture of lupus is that the butterfly rash, this rash that kind of like lands on your cheeks here, but doesn't really cross, you know, the, these these navial folds, right? So they're just like right here, just right. Of course, I'm dark seen, right? So you're probably not gonna see redness on me, but you know, for most people, like especially the fair skin one, they have this rash that's kind of inflamed here, but just stops. If you stop, we're not sure why it stops. We just know right there, you're not getting a rash, right? And for those patients who get that type of rash, you know, we, we're, it's, we're on high alert. Oh, this may be a lupus one as well, right? Remember, like I said, the systemic one affects everything, right? So you can get the same type of skin disorder rash in your, your systemic one, right? But for patients who don't have any kidney issues, any liver, any other issues but the skin, you know, those are treated, um, 
treated much differently, but those are categorized as the cutaneous form of lupus, right? So again, we have the systemic one that affects everybody. We have cutaneous form that affects just the skin and it affects the skin not only with these the rash here. Some people get blisters. It, you know, it, it, it's, the, it's a diffuse rash that can happen everywhere and anywhere because again, lupus does not discriminate. Lupus can happen in any part of the body it wants to, especially for the skin related one. And I've seen some instances where uh, the skin one even affects infants, right? So even the infants are getting these, uh, you know, disquamous rashes that, that just look really, really bad. And it's very, when we see something like that, we're on high alert, you know, that lupus may be playing key factor here right and then uh, the next one our last one is you know drug induced lupus right and it's just like it sounds right there's drugs that we you know professionals will give you know the physicians can give you that can possibly cause lupus right and I will tell you right now it is not common right to get this reaction right but we do always have to let you know that it can occur and for for the most people, right? most people, the, I guess the probably the most common medication um, we're going to think about is probably hydralazine, which is a blood pressure medication that we give the patients who have problems, you know, dealing with blood pressure and they, you know, they need something else to kind of assist with dealing with their blood pressure. So hydralazine is one. Uh, second one is quinidine, and the third one is procanamide, right? So these last two you may not be too familiar with. Reason why is because they're really more a function of heart. Uh, uh, rate medications, right? So again, that's a very small subset of the population that's probably going to have to ever have to deal with like that uh, disorder, right? But for the most part, hydralazine is probably going to be your most common one. It's probably going to be the most likely one that someone outside is going to prescribe you. We 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 do it. We give it a lot in a hospital setting for patients who because it's a great blood pressure medication. So we give it a lot uh, for patients dealing with uh, blood pressure and blood pressure issues uh, of the sort. So those three right here, and there, there's about 45, 46 of them, but those are three of the most common ones, right? The other like 40 uh, other uh, disorders, um, they, they happen at such a small rate that we don't even really consider that, you know, a disease, but because it happens to one person, right? And this is, and I'm, I'm glad I got to this point because this is a nice little caveat, right? I have a lot of patients who love to read the side effects of uh, diseases, right? So side effects of their medications, and I always have to explain to them, right? If I test a million people, right, listen now, if I test a million people with a certain medication, right, if one person tells me that it turned their hand blue, you have to list that as a side effect, right? So think about that, right? A million people, and out of a million people, one person, right, had a side effect where the hand turned blue, and now, boom, what happens right on the label? Take this medication, you run the risk of your hand turning blue, right? Because the pharmaceutical company, which for for good reason, uh, they, they can't hide that. We don't want them to hide that. We want them to be as uh, forthcoming as possible, right? But they got to be like, well, you know, this can occur. So we're just kind of letting you know. But I always let them, my patients know that too because my patients run back to me. Hey, Dr. Pierre, you gave me this medication here and this, it says this is a side effect. I said, that's a possibility, but it's a very low risk of it, right? So always, you know, always feel free to you know, educate and quote unquote check your physician if you're ever concerned about medications from, from that standpoint there. And we're gonna, we're gonna get into, you know, our segment now. Again, like I keep saying we, but like again, for those who, you know, maybe you're just now catching up, I am in a different office as you can see here. You can't even see my, my office is a little bit smaller now and, and you know, I'm on my desk and in this, my in my new job setting, right, I deal with inpatient medicine, right? So what we're going to start doing with these lunch and learns is we're going to start having 
inpatient medicine uh, discussion, right? Like, so we talked about lupus, right? So what, what does lupus look like on the inpatient setting? For, for example, for uh, example, my, my patient who came in, she came in with acute kidney failure, right? Which means her kidneys were failing on her. Her kidneys were not producing urine. Her kidneys were causing her to be bloated. Like all of these bad problems um, that with lupus, to diagnose it, they actually had to biopsy her kidney. So when she was coming to see me, it was because of that, right? I was actually, um, you know, clearing it to get her kidney biopsy uh, from that standpoint there. So that, so that was that, right? So in the hospital setting, right, when we tend to see patients with quote-unquote lupus flares, it's usually a the lupus, right, attacking some portion of the body, causing it to temporarily not work, whether it be the heart, whether it be the lungs, whether it be the kidneys. Those are, those are usually our three top ones. We know lupus is a result of about 140,000 hospitalizations per year, right? So 140 hospitalizations per year. And in the hospital setting, I'll tell you now, so, so you know, I always like to tell you about the business aspect of, you know, everything I'm doing, right? In the hospital setting, right, the big thing in the hospital setting is what we call readmission, right? And readmission means if I discharge a person tomorrow, what is the likelihood that they'll come back within the next month, right? Because if that happens, right, especially if they come back for the same thing, they usually says that, hey, you know what, you may have discharged this person a little bit too early and they probably weren't ready or something happened. Because a lot of times it's not always your fault. A lot of times you'll discharge a patient. You'll tell the patient, follow with your primary care doctor. They don't follow their primary care doctor and then they don't take the medications that they were supposed to take when they follow the primary care doctor. Then they end up in a hospital, right? That's a very common common issue we see a lot in the hospital too, right? And the, that transition of care always falters, right? So much important to always kind of be mindful of that uh, when we talk about the hospital setting, right? And readmission rates, right? But for lupus, right? Lupus has the six most common diagnosis for a person to be readmitted to the hospital within 30 days, right? So think about that, right? The sixth most, most likely cause that you're going to end up back in the hospital within a month is due to lupus, right? So it's definitely not something that we take for granted because we know how significant this uh, disease is. We know how, and even if the numbers aren't as rampant as, let's say, a diabetes, right? We talk about diabetes, 30 million, right? Lupus, again, hits about, I think, 1.5, maybe 2 million per year in, in that regard, right? So, of course, obviously, there's a big difference, right? But it doesn't mean it's not important. And that's, I think that's the most important thing, right? And so that's why I wanted to touch on it because, again, I do have, especially in, you know, the patient population I deal with, a lot of them obviously are African-American. And, you know, so a lot of them are going to be much more affected by like a disorder like lupus than, you know, um, uh, my Caucasian patients. Right. So always important to make sure I touch on, you know, everything uh, to make it important. Plus, I wanted to kind of dedicate this episode to a friend of mine, Dr. Jamie who uh, recommended that I do an episode on lupus. So here we are, right? Like, first of all, thank you, Dr. Jamie, uh, for, you know, giving us idea to talk about lupus uh, this week. So in conclusion, we talked about lupus, which is a very tough disorder to deal with, especially if you know anyone who may be dealing with lupus or have a family member dealing with lupus, you know the impact that it has on the mental well-being as well as the physical well-being of your patient. We also talked about some lupus facts, some figures, some startling numbers on lupus and how much it affects and who actually gets affected by lupus. We talked about very common symptoms. And if you want, what I'll do is I'll leave a list of those symptoms in our show notes as well. 
We talked about diagnosing lupus. We talked about three very common types of lupus that you may run into. And what does lupus look like in a hospital setting? So again, I want to thank everyone who took the time to listen. And I will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry. I hope you enjoyed that episode like I enjoyed giving you that episode for your listening pleasure. If you want, please join the community. Please tell a friend to tell a friend to join the community. I'm over at Twitter. I'm over at Facebook. I'm over, I'm even over at Pinterest. Like I'm everywhere. Everywhere where you want to be, I'm probably there. My username is pretty much the same everywhere you go. LunchLearnPod.com lunch learn pod at facebook lunch learn pod at twitter and the hashtag that we're using especially when you're listening to the episode and you want to share it and you want to tell all your friends is lunch learn pod as well all one word and before i let you go please do me a favor head over to apple Podcasts, google play soundcloud stitcher radio tune in radio wherever you like to hear listen to your podcast and even if you like listening on my website Leave me a comment. Leave me a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Leave me even a comment to say, hey, I'd like to hear about this topic versus that topic. And I'll be gladly able to kind of squeeze that in on the schedule. And you guys continue to have a great and blessed day. And I'm going to see you guys next week.